Original content. Content. Compelling discussions. Audio on demand. This is a Podcast 225 production. The issues. What's going on now? What's happening in the state? The people. Carl Dabity. We've got Michael Shingleton. Taylor Moore. Jay Darden. Congressman Garrett Gray. Richard Condon. He is Ryan Clark. Sharon Weston Broom. The podcast. And we're going to talk about that. This is The Clay Young Show. Thanks, Neil. This might be the biggest one we've ever done. And I don't mean... Well, maybe the biggest one we've ever done. <laughs> I've tried to find a way to not overhype it, but five guests on uh, five talk segments on this edition of the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com. A lot of information for you. It feels like an old school radio show for me with all of the discussions that we have, that we're going to have and that we're going to share with you today. So let's get right to it. So on this episode of the show, we're going to be talking to Mayor President Sharon Weston Broom. We're going to be talking to East Baton Rouge Parish Coroner Dr. Bo Clark, George Bell, the CEO of the Capital Area United Way, Bishop Charles Wallace of the Oasis Christian Church here in Baton Rouge. And we are going to be talking with a couple of Baton Rouge police officers who only a few days ago saved a young man's life. It is a fascinating story. I got a phone call about it and absolutely wanted to talk about it. And those officers who did that will be in studio with me to talk with you about what happened and the training that goes behind that selfless work. And we're going to welcome into the studio corporals McGinnis and Robinson. And so there's a lot of COVID-19 information, so I'm not going to make this open very, very long. I would just like to ask a favor of you if you listen to the show. Share it. Help us get the word out about what we're doing. If you subscribe on iTunes through the Apple Podcast app, you can leave us a review there. If you subscribe through the iHeartMedia app, I hope you do that with both of them, you could leave us a comment and something there. It helps us when people are processing or or prioritizing, rather, where podcasts should go. Uh, You can also email me if you have guest suggestions. If you're an elected official anywhere across Louisiana and you would like to be on the show to share information with your constituency, take down this email address, clay at podcast225.com. And that way we'll get you in the queue. We're doing a lot more shows to get a lot more information out, hopefully giving you the information that will be helpful to you. That's always the plan. And we appreciate the great feedback we are getting. So we got a lot to get into today. I hope you're ready for a good show because I know I am. Coronavirus. It's changing as you and I speak right now. Yeah. When the world changes, there's one place the Capital Region comes for answers. We have increased stress and the closure of schools. Podcast225.com. And The Clay Young Show. Answers to your COVID-19 questions. That's pretty much how most viral illnesses act. From the people at the top. Truly an invisible enemy that we're uh, fighting here. The world is changing. 
Are you ready? This is Jeff LaDuff, retired chief of police for the city of Baton Rouge. I'm Kelly LaDuff, co-owner of Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting. Open Eyes is focused on providing quality safety solutions that give businesses and employees the skill set needed to recognize and react to dangerous situations. On a daily basis, we hear yet another story of workplace violence or active shooter. Open Eyes offers a unique approach to keeping you and your businesses safe through site analysis, technology recommendations, policy review, and employee training. To set up a consultation for your business, call us today at 225-313-9713 or visit us at our website at openeyesafetytraining.com. We say keep open eyes because 10% of our population cause 90% of our problems. See them before they see you. This is podcast225.com and the Clay Young Show. Back with Mayor President Sharon Weston Broom here back in studio alerting us again on what's happening in the capital region as it relates to COVID-19. She's keeping a pretty crazy pace as of late as we are sitting here today. There was a press conference earlier today addressing information that you need and so we can recap some of that if you did not get a chance to to watch it if you want to you can still catch it on social media uh, it's been published there you can go watch it again so madam mayor how are you i'm doing great you know clay it's um it's been three weeks since we've been i want to say officially dealing with mm-hmm. COVID 19 in our community and um, as of now, as of uh, this uh, broadcast, um, there are 325 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in East Baton Rouge Parish and um, 20 um, COVID-19 related deaths mm-hmm. in East Baton Rouge uh, Parish. And so um, the entire nine parish capital region now has 684 reported cases. That's 154 more cases than were reported um, yesterday. Um, But as, of course, I think you heard the governor talk about the log jam Mm -hmm. uh, with the test results coming in. So that's why we had this uh, large jump in uh, cases. Uh, But I will tell you that... um, uh, you know, people are getting tested. Our uh, MOSEP uh, volunteer testing site with our local hospitals is up and running. Yep. We have uh, now gone to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mm-hmm. tests uh, from 1230 to 2. And uh, we will be testing again uh, on Monday. Uh, but of course, next week is uh, Easter week. So we'll be uh, perhaps making some uh, changing our dates uh, because next Friday is Good Friday. That hit me a couple of days ago that next week is Holy Week. With everything going on, it's yeah. like right here. And, and I, I don't yeah. remember, I was in a conversation and somebody said something. Yeah. It's like, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, along those lines, um, you know, during Holy Week, Clay, you know, we all like to fellowship mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, during Easter, we traditionally spend time with our families uh, as we, as Christians, celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. It is critical, though, for each and every one of us to continue to intensively yeah. adhering to the physical separation. And right. I know it's hard, it is hard. Uh, but we've got to we've got to adhere to the stay-at-home guidelines that have been extended now until April 30th, and mm-hmm. and that's what is helping us uh, flatten the curve for our community and for our state. Because what I want people to start doing, Clay, I want people to start envisioning the future, the future for their families, 
for their businesses, mm-hmm. for their churches, for their community. Right. And so in order for us to have that future, right. to capture that future, we're going to have some discomfort right now. Right. But if we if we embrace that discomfort and adhere to the social distancing, the uh, what may seem trivial, the good hygiene mm-hmm. rules, if we adhere to staying at home, then there will be a season where we right. can we can not only resume our lives, but hopefully revive them oh, to yeah. a whole different level. Because, Clay, I really think that we are going to, as a nation, uh, start rethinking life. I believe we're going to start rethinking yeah. life. And that means that we will probably readjust our priorities in mm-hmm. terms of the things that matter most, the things mm-hmm. we can do with, the things we can do without. Mm-hmm. The spending time with the family where people are having a lot of opportunity to do mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. now. And hopefully that won't change right. after this. You, it's so different because Dr. Curtis Chastain was here a couple of days ago and he talked about how this is likely going to be back in December of this year. Oh, I've heard that for sure. And by then we likely will have a little bit of a better ha- handle on it because Hopefully by then we've got some vaccine that deals with the impact That's of this. That's what I hope too. And mm-hmm. so I think you're right. We are never going to have yeah. a pre-COVID reality again. Right, right. You're this right. this is going to be a part of yeah. what's going on. So for from your perspective now, and I and I I was talking mm-hmm. to somebody about this earlier. Psychologically, the impact that this has on people is almost immeasurable because it's so different. The weather is gorgeous outside, but we're asked to stay inside. People have worked hard to build businesses and some of them have lost them. We've heard about businesses that are closing. I mean, how how do you encourage your constituency of the parish to at least try to stay optimistic when it doesn't seem like there's much to be optimistic over? Yeah, I, I, you know, I want to let everyone know in our city and in our parish that uh, as we are vigilant about adhering to these guidelines, as um, we don't allow ourselves uh, to be deterred, uh, then I will tell you um, that things will get better. Mm-hmm. I mean, even from a, a, I'm optimistic from a medical point of view that somewhere soon and very soon, yeah. someone's going to come up sure. with a, uh, you know, a vaccine, as you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that is vitally important. So as we remain, as we do our part, as we uh, remain dedicated to the physical, physical separation guidelines, to avoiding unnecessary travel and staying at home, I am going to remain dedicated to taking every action possible to see that we as a community get through this so we can see Baton Rouge uh, thriving uh, once again. And mm-hmm. I believe that, we can do that. And, and you know, Clay, there are a lot of uh, voices that are out there, yeah. right, uh, during this uh, pandemic. Mm-hmm. And and so my um, admonition and exhortation uh, as we look forward in the uh, coming weeks is to not let, let the voices of negativity infiltrate your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to get through this. And there are a lot of voices that are trying to come into our lives to cause us to panic, mm-hmm. right? Our community 
needs to just step back. And you right. talked about the emotional toll, mm-hmm. but we've got to step back every day and take a deep breath and know that we're headed in the right direction right. if we do our part. Um, we've got to uh, lift one another up. Right. And that means phone calls, mm-hmm. FaceTime, writing a card to someone. Mm-hmm. That means lifting folks up in our prayers. And, and we've got to understand the changes that are going on in our lives. And, and to a large extent, we've got to accept those changes that we cannot control. Yeah. And we've got to be patient and just continue to love one another. It's so interesting that you say that and and the the negativity that's out there because I have really adjusted how much information I consume and from where I'm consuming it because of that because it really you could you could burn out yes on it yes. and you're one of the rare people who while given the facts about what's going on is still encouraging people in a way that doesn't make you feel like oh my god this is the mm-hmm. end of the world mm-hmm. because the sun's going to come up tomorrow whether we mm-hmm. are Right. You know, on our feet or on our backs. And I just it, it's it's important that people just stay optimistic. I think we'll get to the other side of this. H1N1 a few years ago presented an obstacle and everyone was panicked and it panicked. And nobody talks about H1N1. I was going to say nobody even remembers that it was, right. you know, right. here. I right. mean, yeah, you're absolutely so right. What's the parish doing? I mean, because every week we, we talk about mm-hmm. some of the adjustments being made. What are you doing? From a parish standpoint, I know that City Hall is still basically working with a skeletal crew and city services are still going on. But is there any other news coming out of City Hall? Yeah, well, of course, we're adhering, as I said, to the governor's April 30th deadline. Mm -hmm. So city parish government, um, uh, our buildings specifically are going to be closed until April 30th. Um, A shout out to our DPW workers, shout out to our first responders police, fire, uh, doctors, nurses, EMS, all of our first responders. I hope I didn't leave anyone off. Our DPW workers, because let me tell you, our DPW workers are keeping the city running as we uh, work through this so we don't have a gap in our, our, our basic services. So while our buildings are being closed, our work continues yeah. and many people in city parish government are now working as essential employees and this is something different clay because historically our crises have been focused around water mm-hmm. you know hurricanes either falling or rising You're that's absolutely right. right floods right right and so we can physically see what we're dealing with right right? Right. we can physically go get those sandbags and bring them to the house we can physically board up windows Mm -hmm. we can physically do things but right now our adjustment has to be made with something we can't touch see or feel and our adjustment what we need to do on our part is something that seems trivial Mm -hmm. When we, I know people are so tired of us telling them, wash your hands. Right, right. That seems like we're talking to school talk, right? <laughs> right or right. kids in the classroom right, or something. Right, right. But actually, what seems trivial in this case is monumental Absolute, to our recovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, we've heard it. If the social distancing thing will allow the spread to slow down, yes. it'll flatten the curve. Yes. And it, because I think, I don't think people realize as, as people become infected, they're taking up bed space. Uh, I talked with someone last evening 
about medical professionals having to decide in some places who gets to live and 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 not because of the lack of supplies and resources and mm-hmm. I mean it's that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mayor Cantrell down in in New Orleans they're opening up the convention center down Correct. there to put beds there. We we're seeing it around the country. Correct. Fortunately here we started testing people earlier than yes. almost any other place in America. Yes. Yeah. But I mean I think by listening we could make this better. Absolutely. If we and it, and it's it's not you know, it's just so contrary to our way of life. Yeah. You know, people are now wearing masks. Yeah. Um, the uh, mayor in um, Los Angeles told everybody to put on a mask, right? Uh, so people are wearing masks. That's different yeah. than we're used to. People um, don't want, it's hard for us to stay at home when we see beautiful weather. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's almost a, uh, just a... Uh, um, Juxtaposition, yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, you know, but our remedy for this, we don't, you know, we don't have the medicine yet. Mm-hmm. But our remedy is good hygiene, mm-hmm. staying at home, right, and staying apart. Yep. And so it's going to take discipline mm-hmm. on our part. Now, Clay, I, you know, I say that we're going to this is going to transform our lives in so many ways. Mm -hmm. I know not just emotionally and physically and economically, but I believe it's going to change our culture. Yeah. How we operate, you know, Um, I even think post COVID-19 hugs are going to be in scarcity. (laughs) I'm just saying, because <laughs> you know we're down here, we're, we're huggers we're in the huggers. south, and, I think and we're I'm gonna telling be transitioned you, you know how long it took me to get out of the routine of, because we're huggers, and now yes. it's like I don't even think about it. And I told somebody this morning, I said, before you know it, we're gonna be rubbing Purell on our elbows. I know, I said, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I think about even how I'm reacting to my husband. You know, I'm like practicing social distancing. I love you, kiss from a <laughs> kiss from afar. Let's kiss from afar. You know, and so. Uh, so I think we're going to I don't I think our lives are going to be restored yeah. and and usually after crisis things get better. Yeah, I, I, you know, look, we've had our fair share of them down here. Yeah. And we've been through I said we I always tell people we have a, a tough region mm-hmm. because in the last 15 20 years Ooh. who's dealt with more than we have down here and we're still standing. And I like to encourage people about that when things exactly. happen. It's like just think back a few years ago. Exactly. You know, th- we had a, a the flood situation was You're so right. Think about it. Mm-hmm. There were places with 8 and 9 feet of water that barely have an inch on the road. That's right. You know, That's parts right. of Baton Rouge mm-hmm. from from Eight feet on Jones yeah. Creek to mm-hmm. to over on Brookstown and in those areas, you know, um, Winborn Avenue. Yeah. So the stimulus is going to start hitting the streets. Yes. And individuals and businesses are now in the learning uh, phase, information gathering about that. And so I hope to have someone on next week to kind of talk in layman's terms for people to explain through how this Good. works. What's your perspective on that now that people are engaging to find out if they qualify and if they do, how do they go about getting you know a part of this? Well, we've been thinking proactively, my team and I, around um, the advent of uh, the stimulus dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, I certainly want to 
thank our congressional delegation yeah. members, Senators mm-hmm. Cassidy and Kennedy and Congressman Graves in Richmond, uh, as they work to pass the largest financial assistance package in the history of the uh, United States. And so the speed with which these dollars are intended to flow, um, you know, will will come very soon. And so what we're planning, Clay, even uh, next week, we will be making an announcement around efforts towards financial planning. Okay. This is what I told my team. The stimulus dollars are coming, right, Mm -hmm. in various increments depending upon your income. Right. But the bigger picture is how do you sustain yourselves in a COVID-19 environment Mm -hmm. with those stimulus dollars? Mm -hmm. How do you balance your money and budget your money and stretch your resources in a COVID-19 environment? In other words, not buying flat screen TVs or things Uh, like that. Because guess what? You know, and that's what, and let me just say, when you're in a situation like this, it makes you more prone to say, even me, you know, I deserve a, to buy something online. Mm-hmm. I deserve, you know, to treat myself because sure. I've been suffering, mm-hmm. you know. And so we've got to uh, think, though, more holistically, comprehensively about finances mm-hmm. and our financial management mm-hmm. as households right. during this uh, COVID-19 uh, crisis that we're in. So we're going to provide uh, financial literacy, financial planning information that we'll be announcing next week. That's good. We're going to have people roll out information mm-hmm. for people to know. I'm just going to say this. You know, before I came to record uh, this uh, show, someone called me up and said, Mayor, there are a line of people that are around the payday loan business in a certain location. That is not going to maximize your dollars in COVID-19 crisis. I was questioning, well, you know, I thought I was like, well, those checks have not come in yet though, but this is the issue. It's the beginning of the month. And many people now because of COVID-19, don't have money because they pay. haven't worked the last month because they haven't worked the last month. Right. So they're trying to. And I mean, you can't criticize them for oh, trying right. to stay in their right. houses right. and right. pay their rent. Sure. And, you know, put food on the table, put the food yeah. on the table. Yeah. You, you can't criticize people right. for that. Right. But what we want to do is educate people on how they can get through this. Mm-hmm. And maximize the resources that they have. So in 30 days, you're not in the same situation again. Exactly. Because the confluence of the stimulus money coming to some and refund checks. Correct. From uh, people who are getting income uh, yeah, tax. tax. Mm-hmm. So now you've got, and, and I said to somebody the other day talking about this, say, so you realize that they're going to be some households who will get thousands back from this. I said, what do you mean? I said, because they're going to get the $500 per child. And they get the whatever the amount is as the individual. And in poorer communities, you have a number of adults with kids in those homes. So that's an opportunity, if you're thinking about it, to talk them through Mm -hmm. not messing this up. Like you said, we don't know what the other side of this will look like. I believe you believe the other Mm -hmm. side is coming. Hopefully, knock on wood quickly. But you need to have some kind of sustaining finances there Mm -hmm. until you get there. Mm -hmm. Right. So now. And the attorney general talked about this a little bit, 
But from your perspective, people who gouge and play funny with costs of things right now. Okay, you're the parish president, mayor of Baton Rouge. What What are your thoughts on that? Because that frustrates me to no oh, end. It's deplorable. Yeah. You know, for people to take advantage of a situation like this, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a business or individuals during this season, is deplorable. Yeah. And I would encourage people, if you know somebody is heightening the price around uh, uh, beyond uh, uh, what it normally is, you know, that to the extent that it is eccentric, do not buy it. Right. And this goes in line with, you know, I know there are a lot of people um, you know, I know people who, who have been like, well, I need hand sanitizer. I need hand sanitizer. Well, truly, you do need hand sanitizer, but there's only so much hand sanitizer you're going to use in a week. <laughs> right? Oh, man. And so you'd be surprised how one little bottle could take It'll you a last whole you a long time. time. Yes. You don't need to get a case of it. <laughs> you don't need to get a case. I'm still trying to figure the toilet paper thing out. Yeah. I you figured it out yet? I no, I, I haven't. But, you know, I, I, I feel. And so that's why I say. We're going to have, we want people to, and and this is, we can't mandate this. Right. We're only trying to help people right, right. manage and navigate through this crisis. But you don't have to um, don't hoard. hoard stuff. Yes. Yeah. Buy one week at a time. Buy one week at a time. It's, I just, I can't get my mind around. That's been the most disappointing thing about this entire process. And, and I will say this, I, the, for the people who are saying that this is made up and that they're, look, I know people who have lost relatives to oh, this. I do too. I had a member of my team pass away from this last week. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I think it is extremely insensitive yeah, to say is. that this is made up. People have actually died, okay? And I, I quit putting that out there because, you know, that stuff, look, if it circles back on you, That's you'll remember having said that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how can people even think or say that when all over the nation, thousands upon thousands of people are dying? It's incredible. Yeah, I I can almost I'm not going to say I excuse it because I don't excuse Mm -hmm. it, but it's not that far off when younger people think that they're invincible and they say things like that. But seasoned grown people who repeat this. I mean, come on, man, you know better than that. Yeah. You know. I have to say here in Baton Rouge, uh, Clay, that um, our elected officials uh, have been working together during this time of crisis. You know, this is not a time for politicizing. Mm -hmm. This is not a time for partisan politics, who pointing fingers, et cetera. It's a time for us coming together cohesively to make sure that our constituents are complying with the stay-at-home orders, to make sure that we're pooling our intellect and our compassion Mm -hmm. together to respond to the needs of those individuals uh, in our community. And so, you know, during these uncertain times, um, we have to, as leaders, show what true leadership looks like. I, I'm going to stop right there because that's a good enough point. I, th- because, yes, that's what people need right now. Any, uh, where can people find information if they're, if they're needing to know about what's going on well, with this? Well, I do have some news to it. announce yes. mm-hmm. that we have started our own Red Stick Ready 
um, East Baton Rouge Parish Emergency Preparedness Text Alert System. Okay. Now, our East Baton Rouge Parish Emergency Preparedness Text Alert System uh, for critical updates on COVID-19 information. So citizens can text the words red stick ready red stick ready to the number 225-243-9991 that's red stick ready to the number 225-243-9991 to opt into our parish alert system Mm -hmm. so this is going to be information specifically uh uh designed for COVID-19 updates here in the East Baton Rouge Parish. I think that's awesome. And that way people can know what's going on. And so if in the middle of the day they miss one of the briefings, they'll be able to get information that way. And I mean, that's that's the thing you want to know now because I, I was talking to the chief about this the other day, about making certain that people truly understand the directions that they're being given. Yes. Because I think in the beginning with the governors, the the thing about businesses, I think there were some... People were confused yeah, about were. whether they fell in or out of essential or non-essential. Right. And I think once people started to understand, they got it. But initially, I don't think people got it. So I don't think it was people being flagrantly disobedient. No, they just didn't no, know. They didn't understand. Yeah. Any other thing you want to share with us? No, I just want to uh, let everyone know that as we move forward in the coming weeks, as I said, we're going to have a series of financial planning events for our community, uh, working with local nonprofits to put that on. Uh, we're going to continue working with our hospitals to evaluate and expand their capacity. Uh, we're going to continue rolling out ways to protect our economy mm-hmm. by connecting businesses with SBA and other federal uh, resources. And uh, we will be evaluating the data surrounding mm-hmm. this virus to assess its long-term impacts on our community. And so I'm just uh, grateful to our citizens uh, because this is a team effort Mm -hmm. and they're on, they're very much an integral part of the team. Our community is very much an integral part of the team. So I just want everyone to um, uh, continue to be resilient uh, as I know we are here in East Baton Rouge Parish. Mayor President Sharon Weston Broom. Thanks, MP. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. The issues, the policies, the people. This is The Clay Young Show. Back with two fine members of the Baton Rouge Police Department, Corporal Robinson, Corporal McGinnis, and these gentlemen, as I said in the open, are an example of some of the superior training the department has across its men and women who serve this community. And while we have all of the news going on about COVID-19 and unfortunately some of the losses we've taken, there are, there are good stories out there. And uh, gentlemen, how are y'all? Very well. Doing well. All right. So... Um, Let's start with this, the incident where you guys actually saved someone's life here in town in the last few days as we record this. Tell me, t- take me through that. So I think it's important to add some uh, perspective and context if okay. we can. So 
the the perspective is that we have a very robust uh, EMS uh, medical system in our parish that we're lucky to have. Mm-hmm. They're very professional, very capable folks, and uh, they're they're really you know the the heroes of this last few weeks for for the parish. Right, uh, doing a great job. And uh, there are some partnerships that have taken place over the last six or seven years between BRPD, uh, EBR, EMS, and uh, the fire department that's allowed. Baton Rouge police officers to uh, respond to, to medical incidents in a way that's not really common across the country yet. It's okay. kind of a the cutting edge of that nationwide best practice. Okay. Um, so that that partnership is, has fostered over the last five six years somewhere in that in that neighborhood, and uh, the administration at, at the Baton Rouge Police Department has has, has trained and equipped the officers uh, of the department department wide every mm-hmm. officer um, to be able to respond with quality equipment to fill that gap in, a, in an incident. So if you look at the incident, initial response uh, is police officers, right? So let's look at a, a, a shooting, stabbing, something, something that's a violent crime uh, response. Mm-hmm. Police officers respond to the scene. Uh, initial response, they're going to try to make the scene secure, right? right. That's, that's the initial police response. Um, once it's secure, we can, we can call in EMS, we can call in fire, but there's a gap there, right? And yeah. every incident's different. It may be seconds, it may be minutes, it could be much longer than that. Right. So that gap is what, we, what, was, what was filled by training officers. Uh, now it's a base level trauma response training, mm-hmm. right? So uh, any officer that responded to this incident easily could have done anything that we did or, or more. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't unique or special because um, what we did was such high level or, or, or was um, anything out of the norm. It was just standard training. It was because cops did it. Right. That's the important thing that, that, that comes across here. And I want to make sure your listeners and, and the, the the members of this parish, the residents know this, is that uh, the Baton Rouge Police Department is committed to the idea of providing that full range of service, mm-hmm. right? So we're cops. We right. respond as cops. We do uh, cop stuff, you right. know? <laughs> but uh, we also, as a department, have been trained to fill that medical gap. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Again, uh, you look across the nation, you're not going to find many departments six, seven years ago who were doing that, Yeah, um, especially to be equipped to the level that the Baton Rouge Police Department is with right. the equipment uh, that's available to us. So that's the that's the perspective. Right. Uh, a little bit of context for you. So, so tell us what happened. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll I guess I'll keep going. My, my, my partner's not much of a talker. Uh, he's more of an action guy. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's so, laying out, letting you go over here. So. <laughs> yeah. so uh, yeah, we're 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 out. You know, doing whatever the police officer is trying to do right now, and trying to keep the the, the city as safe as we can, and, mm-hmm. and trying to provide that that um, you know that that police service that that's necessary right now, and it always is necessary. Uh, the important thing about this response was that we were just close. That that, that was that was it. Mm-hmm. We were riding in a two man unit. Um, we're assigned to the full time SWAT element to yeah. the department. Yeah. So we're riding a two man unit, um, and we were, uh, I believe. Like airline and Evangeline, you were maybe a mile, mile and a half, I guess, from the incident. So uh, we pull up uh, during the during the response. We kind of talked about it. You know, I'm, I'm an EMT trained mm-hmm. by the fire department mm-hmm. in Baton Rouge. Um, very, very lucky to have got that training. Uh, so I'm actually trained as an EMT. So Corporal McGinnis says, "Hey, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll provide the initial, you know, support, right. uh, uh, security, and grab your med bag, and we'll we'll see what we can do when we get there." So. Uh, pulled and parked and got flagged in by, by I believe it was the mother. I've never actually confirmed. I believe it was the mother. So what was going on? What was happening? Oh, so yeah. So the, the actual incident, uh, it was a shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, the call, I believe, was uh, one male was shot uh, and 
we weren't really sure what the injuries were, I believe, in the initial response was one was shot, uh, was inside a house um, that we were responding to. So initial response, there's two females in the yard. They're, they're pretty hysterical, you know, reasonably hysterical. And uh, they flag us in, hey, my, my son's in the house. He's, he's dying was kind of the initial uh, information we had. So uh, Colt McGinnis like, hey, man, you go see what you can do with that, and I'll try, I'll try to make sure we're safe out mm-hmm. here and uh, provide some security. So – um, went in the house, had a couple uh, adult males in the house who were saying, hey, he's, he's, on, he's in the living room on the couch. He's, he's grazed. It's, it's grazed. So, um, you know, the response is the same. We're going to evaluate. We're going to make sure the scene's safe, and we're going to provide medical care if we can. Uh, now, grazed is something that we really worry about as police sure. officers. Medical response, that can kind of wait until EMS or fire gets there. We'll mm-hmm. make the scene safe, bring them in. So, um, initial assessment of the, of the patient laying on the couch, he was, uh, he was, he was, he looked pretty rough. I mean, mm-hmm. he was, um, Ashy blew around his lips. Yeah. He was talking, but was was pretty choppy in his yeah. breathing. Uh, he presented as having, uh, you know, that that labored uh, breathing and, and that you know uh, that look of he was struggling. Seems like more than a graze, right? So uh, his family had covered the wound up with a shirt. So I kind of pulled it back to look at it. Kind of could tell pretty quick that it wasn't a graze. It was okay. it was a penetrating trauma. So uh, Colton McGinnis had come in at that point, um, and he. Passed me a, a occlusive dressing, a chest seal, mm-hmm. um, which is provided by our department to us. Applied that to the uh, patient's chest uh, to seal that up. I could tell air was passing in and out of that that mm-hmm. that injury, so we covered it up with occlusive dressing and um, began our assessment of him. Uh, found no no other penetrating trauma to his body anywhere, uh, no other signs of trauma at all. But we could tell he was diminishing. He was he was he was deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Um, the signs of that were he was talking less. Uh, he kept saying he couldn't see. He didn't have a uh, any peripheral pulse at all that I could find. So checking the radial artery down in your wrist, I couldn't feel a pulse there, which is kind of indicative of low blood pressure, right. or your body is shunting blood away from the extremities to bring it to your 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 uh, thoracic cavity. Make yeah. sure that you have blood in your organs, yeah, um, in your brain. So it kind of shunts away from your your arms and legs so much. I couldn't really get a pulse in his in his uh, radial artery. Check his carotid artery, pulsing very weak and, and uh, wasn't what it should have been. It kind of slow. It was kind of um, a, a slower pulse rate than, you'd expect, than you would expect in somebody who was just shot. So um, we uh, kind of made made the scene as safe as we could, bring fire to EMS in and apply some oxygen therapy, got him on oxygen, and EMS transporting very quickly. I mean, it was, it was a pretty quick um, – I always think probably three or four minutes before fire got there. Yeah, yeah McGinnis, let somebody else get a word in ed- edgewise here. <laughs> oh, man, he's doing a great this job. Is, this is very indicative of our relationship. Jeez, let somebody else good. talk, man. Uh, no, so like you touched on, you know, security is our primary directive. Once we arrive on scene, uh, forward care can't be provided until the scene's safe. That's a protocol for EMS. So as soon as we decided the scene was safe, you know, pull the people away from the, the injured person, kind of set up a loose security you know, surrounding the house, mm-hmm. make sure the shooter's not still in the area. Uh, no information on the suspect came out really quick. Like you said, the mother was pretty irate, which is absolutely understandable. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to figure out who's a suspect, who's a witness, who's a victim, those kind of things have to happen pretty quick. And we were only there quick because we were close. A uh, uniform patrol responded quickly. They were there really quick, set up a scene really quick, ended up finding a scene pretty quick where the shooting most likely occurred. Uh, so, yeah, EMS, two or three minutes out in the truck leaving easily within five minutes uh, after we got there and you know and i could appreciate the and, and get a little closer to that microphone or pull it a little closer i i really appreciate and this is across the board with the department the humility you guys are showing and it's it's the whole you are doing your job perspective that officers have every day 
However, this is, I'd like to talk about the mental aspect of this, that you are trained to process information as you see it a little bit slower so that you can digest it and so that you can remember what's going on at a time that everything is kind of crazy. Because I'm sure for everyone in the house, this is crazy. He's bleeding on the couch. You don't know if there's another shooter out there. This, this just happens. Talk kind of through that part. Yeah, so uh, the... I'm not surprised that you're no, starting. No. You know, he's doing great. Yes. <laughs> he's got, a, uh, got the voice for radio, you know? Uh, face for radio, too. So the, uh, the thing about it this way. So when that mother calls the police mm-hmm. uh, and her son shot, that is the worst day of her life. Right. Right? She's maxed out. Yep. Uh, mentally, emotionally, I mean, she's maxed out, and she should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, that's a, a standard call to response, respond to. It sounds callous or, or cynical, and it's not meant to be that way. It's... It's just we, we respond to people on their worst day. Yep. It's the job. It's, it's, it's yep. basically the, the entire reason we exist. Mm-hmm. So I think you develop it. It's not necessarily on purpose. We just develop, you know, that... that you know, calm. Calm is probably the, the wrong word. It's more it's of a filter. It's, it's like you said, we respond to those kind of things fairly often. Mm-hmm. And part of our job is stress day in, day out. You know, uh, my stressful day is uh, not unlike yours mm-hmm. mentally. It's mm-hmm. just what I actually do is a little bit different from you. So right. what stresses you out is just a little different than me. Sitting here in front of all these microphones and laptops stresses me out <laughs> as much as responding to a shooting with a victim and, and suspects I have, and, in the wind. You know? In 25 years, I've seen a lot of that. People who are used to handling big business and situations <laughs> you know, come into my studio. It. And it's like, and the thing is, it's, it's different. Right now... Obviously, because of where we are and what's going on, it's a whole different world, right? And the chief was in here last week and and talked about that. And so from your perspective, you guys are on the streets. How does this post-COVID reality impact you guys? You got to go first this time again. Very peculiar, right? So (laughs) some people take it better than others. Some guys take it in stride. Uh, There's a lot of talk on, you know, your duty is still pretty much the same. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our police officers are in that bracket medically that we're, we shouldn't be dramatically affected even if we are diagnosed right. with the COVID-19. And we've all kind of talked about it one-on-one, face-to-face. Hey, you know, uh, we kind of believe it's coming. Mm-hmm. I believe we all work very, very closely. It's not something we can avoid. Uh, mm-hmm. Police officers in general. Sure. There's one of us. There's usually two of us. Mm-hmm. And like Corporal Robinson mentioned, we're riding two-man units. That's much less than the six feet required to right. stay safe right so we've all kind of taken that into consideration we've just accepted the fact that we're going to at some point become sick with this how it affects us may change you know whether or not we can come to work but it's still just the duty we have to perform sure. it's not unlike anything else uh it's just as dangerous as responding to an armed robbery uh, the, the service that we provide has to be uninterrupted uh, regardless of weather or current situations going around my wife's going to get mad at me for this comment, but I'm going to say it anyway. So I didn't tell him to say it, yeah. so just know that. So I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old yeah. uh, sons. I have four kids, but those two, eight and five, both have chronic asthma. Uh-huh. So every day, it's the thought of, if I bring this home, could it yeah. affect my, my kids, right? Yeah. So uh, it doesn't change our work at yeah. all. It, it can't. We, you know, uh, Explain to my wife that, that keeping Baton Rouge safe is kind of important, mm-hmm. and, and we, we're obligated to that task. Uh, we take it very seriously, so... Uh, we just take whatever measures we can. You know, we're riding together, and I'm squirting hand gel on his hand every, after every call, and vice versa. And we're Lysol, Lysol and boots, and you get home, you strip down in the driveway, and you know that kind of stuff. You take precautions you can, but right. I mean, the, the the task and the job is really important to us. Yep. We obviously do this for a, a reason, and mm-hmm. the, and the pandemic can't change that. Right. You know, it's got to be the same job. So 
we take it very seriously and and we're you know kind of honored to have that job to have that tasking so you know i was joking with the chief last week that the hand sanitizer dispenser that's in my lobby i told him i said i'm thinking about charging 25 dollars a squirt now because that's the most popular place in the whole building right there so but listen man god bless you for what you guys do thank you for this and and you know this is an example of something and you said it earlier that a lot of officers could have done it and in, in, in theory, that's the truth because of how the training is that officers. But you guys did do it. And this kind of thing happens all the time. And I think people should remember, try to maintain a certain level of competence when you're out there so that officers don't have to be dealing with foolishness with everything going on. Would you guys agree with that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Thank you. all. So anything else I wanted to get out there and say before we wrap? Yeah. So we weren't excited to come today, but we're really glad you had us. Yeah. And we appreciate what you do. Yeah. Uh, for the department. What do you mean and, you weren't excited to come today? Because yeah, you don't want to really, be on the microphone. And, it's not and, really our role, you know. Not really our thing. Well, I appreciate y'all showing up, and I thank y'all for what y'all did. <laughs> I mean, Guinness, I mean, God, let somebody else talk next time. <laughs> I'll work on that. <laughs> you work on that. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Podcast225.com. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. This is Podcast225.com and The Clay Young Show back with george bell the chief executive officer of the capital area united way fantastic guy running a fantastic organization he's hunkered down at a clandestine undisclosed location right now <laughs> and he's on a place called home that's, that's what i was gonna say a place <laughs> called home and uh and so man so much has been going on i'll, I'll start by asking you how you are how's the family and how are you adjusting to this post covid19 reality we're living in well, Clay, and I appreciate you asking because, uh, you know, for many, uh, the, the move to work from uh, a place where you're around people to being at home is a big move. And uh, there are a number of uh, issues and thoughts that can creep into a person's uh, mind uh, as they remove themselves from from all of the support and all of the, the people that they're used to accustomed to being around. So so thank you for asking. I'm doing fine. Uh, I have had check-ins with my staff, uh, every one of them, and uh, uh, they're doing okay as well uh, because that was a big concern of mine when we made the move uh, two weeks ago. It is, it is something to get all of the information. I was talking with the mayor about this earlier, about information overload, and, and that's the thing. So people have to be selective about where they're getting their information from to make certain that it's not only it's accurate, but that it's timely, that it's not old information. Would you agree with that? Oh, yes, by all means. And so with that being said, the United Way has been effective on the front end of informing people about resources that are available, not just from United Way, but other places. Kind of update us on all of that right now. Sure thing. Uh, So when I first came on uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the activation of our 211 
uh, call center uh, for disaster for this this particular COVID nineteen disaster. And uh, Clay, uh, since that time, we have received now over thirty five thousand calls uh, to that two one one call center. And then you add to that another thirty one thousand plus mobile users have test texted uh, LA COVID uh, to eight the eight nine eight dash two one one. So we have had a lot of touches over the last uh, the the last three weeks, uh, providing information to uh, folks who were uh, inquiring about uh, COVID and inquiring about resources that are available in our community. And it's interesting because the last time you were here, you talked about tax season and resources that were available for people through by way of United Way in this tax mm-hmm. season. Can you update that again, seeing as how we're now in April? Yeah, we're in April. And as you know, those those uh, tax deadlines, reporting deadlines have been extended. So uh, because of the uh, the the the. Uh, the uh, uh, safe dis- distancing uh, requirements, we have uh, suspended our tax preparation, uh, one-on-one tax preparation services uh, for now until we can get up and running again. So it's taken some of the pressure off of, of folks to, to uh, get their taxes done, uh, uh, and especially the ones that need help with those. Uh, we're, we're not able to do that for them just at, at this time and so that's information that people need to have right now because the last time we talked we didn't realize that the social distancing aspect of this was going to become so aggressive and at the time it was through the middle of april and now it's all the way through the end of this month and who knows how far beyond that the united way exactly. de- deals with a great number of 501c3s nonprofit organizations across the multi-parish coverage area you've got some news as it relates to that correct Yes, I do, and I'm I'm, uh, I'm quite uh, pleased to announce that this week our uh, uh, Impact Cabinet, which is the group of volunteers who uh, really work closely with uh, United Way leadership to uh, uh, advise us on how and uh, where to invest and to what level uh, we invest uh, in in our community uh, organizations and uh, this week we made the decision and it was approved by the by the board as well uh, we made the, the decision to uh, with this quarterly payment we have a set of we have a group of nonprofit organizations and programs that we uh, uh, pay quarterly uh, funds to uh, to to carry out the the work that that they've uh, been approved to do uh, well this this week we made the decision to uh, allow those organizations to receive that funding first of all instead of on uh, April 15th we moved it up to April 1st and then the second thing we did was we relaxed the standards the reporting standards so this gives them in essence a uh, uh, unrestricted uh, dollars that that they can use uh, as they see fit uh, to either carry out what they have uh, uh, been doing, you know, for the for the past uh, year and a half, or they can use it to uh, repurpose and, and provide services in the uh, uh, to respond to the COVID uh, uh, disaster that we're 
facing right now. Uh, it's a huge uh, uh, relief for them. It's it's our form of a stimulus package for our uh, funded partners. Right. Uh, and then the third thing we did was we re- relaxed the reporting requirements that they normally would have had to uh, submit uh, for this third quarter's uh, reporting. So we, we just felt that it was uh, the appropriate thing to do, and uh, we were able to communicate that information to them this week. What are you, what are you hearing from businesses and, and people on the, in the community, in the mul- multiple communities where United Way serves? What are you hearing from them? What feedback are you getting? Kind of talk through that, because I think people outside of the scope of running and owning businesses and running nonprofit organizations may not be aware of the dialogue that's happening. Tell us what you're hearing. Well, first of all, Clay, this is this is a major uh, uh, hit for a lot of businesses, a lot of organizations, nonprofit organizations, and individuals. Uh, you can imagine uh, we're, we're having uh, or seeing record uh, unemployment figures come out. Uh, we are seeing. Uh, businesses that uh, uh, were uh, doing well, uh, starting to, to feel the, the pressure of a uh, you know mandatory shutdown of, of activities uh, or non-essential activities, and it's it's trickling throughout the the economy, throughout the uh, community, and and it's creating some some uh, very concerned uh, individuals now. The reason for it is is clear, and I think the governor, the president, have all made a strong case for why it's necessary. But at the same time, it is a very uh, painful uh, uh, situation for for many of our uh, uh, citizens, especially. And and this is where you know the research that United United Way has done about Alice populations. Those are those asset limited, income constrained. Uh, but employed individuals who, who live paycheck to paycheck, who don't necessarily have uh, deep savings or, or money that they can uh, uh, draw from in an emer- emergency, they're the ones that really have been hit hard by this. And I think that the, the other side of this, when we hopefully get to the vaccine level and we, we are starting to go again, when the reset button is hit, there will still be a period of adjustment as businesses are starting to stand back up and people can get back out into the workforce. So it won't be an immediate we're back. It'll be a, a process of, of building to get to quote unquote back. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Some, someone said that uh, when it comes to matters like this, uh, when, when you have a downturn, it usually is like, like an elevator. You know, it goes down quickly. When it comes back up, it's like an escalator. And, and I'll even add to it, it's almost, it's, it's either an escalator or it's a set of stairs. So you're, you're going to see it come back a little slower than we'd like it to. Uh, but, but I do believe it will come back. And it will come back uh, uh, and, and will be better as a result of it because of the lessons learned. But, but I think it's, it's, going to, it's going to take a while. I agree with you 100%. Any other information you'd like to get out about what United Way is doing? Or uh, obviously 211 is something that has been, you know, shared and people know about it. But is there any other information you'd like to share? 
Well, we're we're always looking for. Uh, well, and, and let me go back to that uh, that other decision. So that decision we made to provide the the um, uh, the, the remove the restrictions for that fourth quarter payment to those nonprofit organizations. There's 41 programs. Uh, that uh, was the equivalent of a uh, $675,000 investment uh, uh, into those organizations. So it, so it really will help them uh, stabilize and, and identify ways that they can help uh, our communities uh, in this time of need. Uh, the second thing that I wanted to, to share with you is uh, we launched our COVID-19 fund, which is specific to uh, COVID relief, you know, providing resources for organizations that are, that are focused on providing relief for uh, those that are suffering from uh, this, this COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, and it's, it's for organizations that are uh, helping to feed individuals. It's for uh, organizations that may be looking to uh, provide ways to help families during this, this recovery. Uh, we, we haven't yet identified uh, uh, those organizations, but the fund is launched and uh, people are starting to step up and give. We've had some wonderful support from corporate partners come in and we are, you know, United Way put up uh, the first uh, match of $100,000, and we are close to raising enough money to uh, fully cover that match. So uh, we're excited about that, and we're more excited about what we'll be able to do uh, to help uh, our community. Um, now, the other thing that I'm excited about, Clay, is uh, we form partnerships, uh, and we're always looking for ways to leverage uh, what we do, the data that we, or the information that we have access to, and always looking for ways to, to improve the use of that information. Well, we have entered into an arrangement with a company called Vinformatics, and this is a, a local company that uh, specializes in information technology, uh, data analytics, and uh, we provided the data from our uh, 211 calls, uh, especially over the last three weeks. And they did two things for us. The first thing they did was they took all that data and provided what's called a, a heat map that shows where the calls were coming from, uh, shows the by zip code, shows the, the quantity of calls by zip code, and it gives us a real good glimpse of where the hotspots are as far as uh, who's in need for of information and the types of information. Then we did a further drill down and we had them look at, okay, based on what people were asking for and the kinds of things that they mentioned in the call, uh, what are the, the themes that are coming out of that? And we have a report from them that, uh, that we're going to be reviewing next week that shows uh, not just the call or the volume of calls, but the nature of those calls. That will help us better identify where those needs are, uh, the types of needs that are out there, and it will help us to match those needs to resources that we are aware of or resources that we can identify to provide funding uh, to. So I'm excited about that. It's a, it's a new partnership, like I said, that, that is, is really uh, produced uh, quickly, uh, some very good information for us to use. 
How are you able to stay ahead of the speed of this? Because it changes, it seems, every hour. Well, it's it's all about people, systems, and processes. And we're, we're blessed to have people that are very dedicated to this work. They're all working from home now, and uh, they're all uh, connected. We, we have made it possible for them to have the equipment they need to, to remain connected. And, and then uh, it's the systems and processes. It's identifying uh, what is the best way to capture information, to share information, so that the people that need to have it, have it at their disposal. And uh, we're, we're always looking for ways to do that. Um, you know, in my calls to my employees uh, over the last week, and I've reached out to every employee this week, uh, Clay, it's something that I set out to do because the last thing I want for our team is for them to feel isolated or feel like they're uh, not in touch with what's going on with the organization. So I've done that, and in those calls, I challenged everybody to come up with uh, three ways that they would like to see us, uh, that things that they think we can do better, things that we can improve, things that we can, uh, you know, how we can better serve uh, our mission and the things that we're doing. Well, I, I, you know, the work, we, I've talked about it before, the work that United Way does is so important on so many levels. And I encourage people, again, if they're looking for a nonprofit to support and, and you know, make donations to, this is a great one to do it. If people wanted to do that, how do they do it? Uh, org. That's org. Capital Area United Way. We also have on social media, uh, a platform for you to give to our uh, COVID-19 fund, uh, Facebook, uh, and it is at our uh, Facebook page, uh, Capital Area United Way uh, Facebook page. Um, those, those are primarily the, the, the two ways that, that uh, are available. Well, uh, as we always say, man, if, if we need to get information out on your behalf here, you know you always have a place to come and share with the public. Well, thank you so much, Clay. And I, you know, I've told you this before. I so appreciate you uh, taking an interest in in the work that we're doing and getting the word out about this work because I think that's one of the uh, the challenges we face. Is we're involved in so many things, and and our fingerprint is on so many uh, things that that are being done in this community uh, or on behalf of our community. Uh, we don't always. We're not always in the in the in the front of of the the charge, which is fine with me. But but it's I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this work and the people uh, that are doing it. Well, that's great. And and again, you guys are credible. And and right now, what people need is credibility and a way to get health. And I neglected to say this earlier when you were talking about Alice and the Alice population. That's about forty five percent of this region. So if you think that's a big number when you think about the, the, the number of people who are on the brink of ruin because of what whatever situation they're in. And, Clay, you, you're absolutely right. That's a 45% number for our 10-parish uh, region. Uh, in East Baton Rouge Parish, it's 47%. But that is data from 2016. So it did take into account uh, the, the flood and the aftermath of the flood. Uh, what I'm concerned about is the snapshot that's the, the next uh, 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 snapshot
snapshot that's going to be taken will be taken from 2020 from this this time or 2018 i'm sorry is from 2018 but you know as well as i that this this event this this uh pandemic and the uh impact that it's having on our community those numbers can only be higher yeah i mean it's they're going to go up it's pretty scary all the way around Mm -hmm. well george i appreciate the time and uh, and if there's an update next week brother we'll get you back on happy to the only interactive podcast in the capital city that lets you help solve a crime there was a shooting okay if someone shot yes someone is shot the crime stoppers podcast with clay young just some suspicious people running through the parking lot before real stories it was my first love real crimes real people real justice the Crime Stoppers podcast with Clay Young, exclusively at podcast225.com. Clay Young here with Brian Lowe with Brian Lowe Financial. Let's talk a little bit more about the below difference, specifically for retirees who are looking for some kind of direction with their money. Well, the below difference is we're going to uncover your values mm-hmm. and we're going to rank safety first, which in turn will give you comfort, Yeah, which in turn will ensure you won't have to go back to work, Yeah, which in turn will ensure your income for life. So we'll give you the comfort to know you don't have to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the below difference is someone who's independent, as in a fiduciary, puts you first. Look, I'm a business owner, yep. and I, I can't stand when the bank calls me and says I'm your new business banker. <laughs> and, you know, you want someone that's not going to keep changing on you. Right. You know, if your, your stockbroker's 60, 70 years of age himself, he's mm-hmm. not going to be in there in four or five years. He's retiring. Right. You know, I'm 42. I'm going to do this a long time. Yeah. you got to find someone you can hold on to. There's not enough young people coming up in my industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a dying breed as far as uh, Department of Labor is concerned. There's making too many rules and regulations give us a call we'll see if we're a good fit brianlowfinancial.com this is the clay young show back with dr bo clark coroner for east baton rouge parish as you know he is a very busy person nowadays and in this post-covid world we're living in i'm sure that there is an adjustment on the part of he and his team bo how are you bud I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. So let's talk about this this reality with your office and then what you know about some of the numbers that we are going to, to be seeing over the next few weeks. Okay. What about that? So how are you adjusting? How is your team adjusting to this virus and, and what you're doing with the public? So we essentially don't really change anything we do. Uh, it just becomes a matter of more volume. Um, and it's more volume over a shorter period of time. And so we, 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 we continue to work cases just like we would any other day of the week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, but, you know, of course, we're more astute uh, to what's going on with the pandemic as far as uh, what we're looking for in the community, what we're looking for from the hospitals when it relates to uh, the COVID-19 virus. Um, and so uh, we're also, of course, looking to the future, too, in trying to prepare by looking at some of the predictive models that exist out there uh, that really show that uh, Louisiana is going to see its, its major surge probably uh, between April 10th and April 14th, according to these prediction models. Now, understand the prediction models, so, you know, they can fluctuate and they can change, uh, but that's when we're estimating to see our, our rise in caseload. So... There are 20 deaths in East Baton Rouge Parish as we record this now, correct? That's correct. And you are expecting, as you mentioned, a spike in the very near future. 
explain what that looks like. Do you think it's going to you know, double the number? Is there any, any indication of how steep that spike will be? So the prediction model looks at, uh, or, or we can estimate from it, that we're looking at about 9 to 10 deaths per day uh, at, its, at its peak. And so just to put that in perspective, when we talk about the 20 deaths that have occurred since the beginning of this, uh, you know, that, that's, that's been like one a day, two a day. We had upwards of four a day here recently. Um, and so that's how that number has grown. It doesn't mean that we had all 20 in one day. Um, as we move forward, we expect uh, for there, you know, the, there to be more than four, you know, five, six, seven, eventually till we get to a point where there's 10 a day. Uh, which should, should last for several days in a row, and then we should come on the other side of the bell-shaped curve when we start coming back down again. So really our preparatory measures are to manage that period when we're having 10 deaths per day because it's compounding, right? You know, Day one is 10 deaths. The next day is, is 20 deaths because you got the 10 from the day before. Then you've, got, then you've got 30 bodies the following day and so forth and so on during the surge period. Um, and so we have to be really ready to, uh, to manage that volume in a short period of time, uh, but really assisting families with uh, moving uh, forward with whatever their disposition choices are, whether that be cremation or burial. Families who have lost loved ones now are learning about the new guidelines for handling the remains. And I, I know some people in personal situations now who are dealing with that. Talk through that for people who may not understand how the length of time someone who may have died as a result of COVID-19 can remain in a morgue before they have to be dealt with. So uh, at first I'll, I'll, I'll speak to kind of what people may in their mind think is, well, I'll just leave them in, uh, in the cooler at the morgue for, you know, 40 to 60 days when all this passes so that then I can you know, embalm them, have an open casket ceremony in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, a church where, you know, hundreds of people can come and, and, and mourn the death and then go to the graveside. What people don't recognize is even though you're in a cooled, even though the body's in a cooler or a cooled environment, uh, after about seven days, you get some decomposition. So uh, essentially, uh, as the body begins to decompose, even in that cooled environment, uh, the uh, option for an open casket burial scenario at day, you know, 40, 60, whatever, however long this all lasts, uh, really doesn't become an option. At that point, you then start looking at, well, I'm going to have to cremate the person uh, because uh, of, the, of the, the decomposition of the body. So the state of Louisiana, and it was in the governor's office, the attorney general and the Department of Health came out and said, look, here, here's the scenario. We can't hold bodies indefinitely. We don't have the capability anywhere in the state of Louisiana to do so. Uh, so they're looking for funeral homes to assist families with making that decision in a pretty rapid fashion, uh, which they've said is three days. So three days really to decide whether you're going to go the cremation route or the burial route. And uh, and then, of course, beyond that, they're saying, and, and by about day 10, it, something needs to happen. Something needs to occur uh, to move the disposition forward. So like everything with this pandemic that has changed our lives in the sense that, you know, now we're stay at home and we're working from home, we're working remotely, uh, we're not able to go to restaurants and movie theaters, all the things that have been impeded because of uh, the stay-at-home orders and the necessity to social distance, 
uh, has really even uh, uh, created issues with uh, what we've been accustomed and used to when it comes to the disposition of our loved ones. Um, so, uh, of course, my office will continue to work with families to help them through the process. Funeral homes have committed to do the same thing. Uh, we really can, but 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 moving forward with some with some timeline restrictions is now uh, what is going to be the new norm given what's going on with the pandemic. And so it, it's it's kind of it's it's so different the aspect of this because of the contagious nature of this and. And I, I spoke with, do you know Kurt Chastain, right? Yes. Yeah, we talked earlier this week. He was on the show and talked about the new normal. And he said, you know, if someone suspects that they may have COVID-19, they probably do. And, and yes. you, should, you should act as if it's everywhere you go and adjust accordingly. I mean, you're a medical doctor. And so obviously you're just as aware about this. Talk through, from your perspective, habits that you are encouraging people to have that will lessen the possibility of contracting this or, or spreading it. Right. So think of it in, in general terms, no differently than other disease processes we've known about in the past. Uh, and we used to, we've continually and in, in, in the past and even now preached something called universal precautions. Basically, you should take the precautions to protect yourself uh, with the assumption that someone has something that's contagious. Uh, and so if you think, uh, you know, I mean, even nowadays, uh, you can't go have your blood drawn uh, at your doctor's office. The phlebotomist wears gloves, right? Uh, that's a universal precaution, basically. Uh, the assumption is, is could there be a contagion in the person's blood that could then be transmitted to the person drawing the blood? So, so if you think of in, it in those terms, then, not, then it, really your habits should be very similar, right? Uh, you, you, you wouldn't cough into somebody's face. You cover your cough. Um, if you do cough into your hand, then you need to clean your hand before you touch anything else. Um, but with this, the, 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 the virulent nature of it and from a respiratory standpoint is, you know, saying, well, you know, you should wear a mask. You should isolate yourself. Um, and in, in the essence of it, especially if you're having the symptoms that we're concerned about, which are fever, shortness of breath, and cough, you really should assume or presume that you have it uh, until you either test negative for it or you, or you feel better. Um, and so we should all act that way. Um, I was listening to some reports recently from some physicians at the state level, and they're saying that, you know, the, the, that the way this virus affects us, the majority of the population will have symptomatology uh, but will recover from it. There's a small portion of the population that will have symptomatology and it will lead to their death because of their comorbid uh, 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 features or illnesses that they have. And then there's another portion of the population that probably has has the virus and has no symptoms at all, and we call those carriers. Uh, and those are incredibly difficult to identify because uh, of, not, of the lack of symptomatology. So that's why social distancing and isolation become very important because if you happen to be one of those persons that's a carrier state, um, you're shedding the virus, and then you go around somebody who has comorbid disease, uh, and then all of a sudden they get the virus and they die as a result of it because uh, their system gets overwhelmed. Do you think the way that this has been explained to the public in the last few weeks has been efficient enough? Um, I would say, so I think we have done the best job we can to explaining it to the public. Uh, but not everybody gets their source of information. Uh, you know, everybody gets their information from different sources. Uh, so it's hard to say that we're done explaining it to the public. 
in the sense that we probably need to repeat ourselves over and over and over again uh, so that people really uh, uh, understand and don't get complacent. Uh, I know it's tough. I know a lot of people have been uh, staying at home, working from home, uh, doing all those things, and they're starting to get antsy. They're starting to say, gosh, when is this going to be over and I can go uh, to a restaurant again? When is this going to be over and I can go back to my usual routine of getting up and going to work and all those things? Uh, and we can't rush into that. Uh, you know, if the predictive models are correct and the surge is a couple of weeks from now, uh, we are at a very crucial and vulnerable state uh, that uh, that can only be mitigated through the stay-at-home rules, the social distancing, the isolation. It's 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 a it's a crazy time and it's it's so different because when you look outside of the window here it's gorgeous and then you're dealing with all of this and and it was said that Dr. Fauci who has become a household name across the country talked about how long remnants of this will stay in the air after a cough or someone who carries it has been in a place in a public place or you know grocery store or whatever I mean that part about this is also alarming yeah i mean so when you have an expert like the ones uh that you hear about on television the cdc the world health organization uh when they say the words i don't know uh that should scare you yeah uh, because it would be different if they said you know 36 hours which means that they studied it and they understand it when they say i don't know but i think you know, one day, two days, three days, whatever they say after that, it should scare you because it means we don't know enough about this virus uh, because it is it is new. It's a novel virus uh, that uh, that where we, we we can prepare as best we can, but we also have to be very cautious on how we proceed. Uh, so that's why I think you know the stay at home and the and the isolation, social distancing are still incredibly important. Uh, you know, uh, probably up to and, and beyond uh, the surge dates that are predicted. Yeah, and we've heard talk about vaccine, creating a vaccine. There's been talk about hydroxychloroquine and the impact it has on it. From your perspective, does discussion about that, those kinds of potential answers to this, help or hurt as you are in the process of creating a vaccine? So I, th- I think it's helpful, but what people have to understand, a vaccine, I mean, the, the, even if they fast-track a vaccine, uh, which is incredibly difficult to do, um, it may be it may be months to years away. Uh, so you know you're talking about creating a vaccine for the next time this happens, really. Um, and then on the flip side to that is the more uh, drugs that they use to combat it, and the more uh, algorithms they make with the drugs, and say, okay, this works, this doesn't work. Uh, the more times we do that, and we're able to to see what works and what doesn't work, really comes up with a regimen for us to treat this with. And so they've had some successes. Uh, with some drugs and some they have not. And in essence, we're kind of learning as we go. Uh, but, you know, the CDC has been very good about putting out those guidelines, especially, I can tell you, as, a, as an emergency medicine doctor and a health care provider, uh, who I, I still do on occasion practice, you know, they're, they're real good about pushing out what we should and shouldn't be doing, uh, especially if they find something that doesn't work uh, or is, 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 is controversial in the way to the way we should be treating this. So, um, you know, it's very fluid. All of this is very fluid. We just have to adapt. Uh, But as Americans, we're we're pretty good at adapting. So um, I have confidence that we will pull through. I agree with you. And especially down here in this part of the world, we can take a punch, figuratively speaking, and, and bounce back because we've taken a few of them and we're still here. Yep, you're absolutely right. All right. Any other information you'd like to get out to the public? 
No, well, I would tell, uh, so I, I, here in East Baton Rouge Parish, uh, I put out daily press releases uh, to the local media outlets, uh, and then typically it has been on Mondays that I get on the East Baton Rouge Parish Corner's Facebook page and do a Facebook Live update. Uh, we do take questions. Uh, we try to answer the questions in a live format. However, if we miss the question, we absolutely go back after the live session is over with and make sure people get the answers they need. Uh, and so, like I said, this is going to be fluid. I think we're, we're entering that surge phase here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so I would really stress to people, uh, rem- the stay at home is there for a reason. The social distancing, the isolation, those are for reasons. They protect you. They protect others. Uh, so please, please take them seriously. I appreciate it, Doc. Uh, anytime and every time you need to get into here to get any information out, if we can help you reach folks, you know you always have a place to, to be on with us. Thank you, Clay. Appreciate it, buddy. Executone of Louisiana has been helping businesses in Baton Rouge save money on their telecommunications for over 40 years. Executone will help businesses upgrade their phones and intercom systems, save money, and never have to worry about local customer support. Doctors' offices, hospitals, schools, businesses, it doesn't matter. All kind have depended on the good people at Executone to upgrade technology and save money. I have a question for you. Do you like saving money? Sure, of course you do. Here's another one. Do you want to keep the most up to Day phone and intercom technology while saving money. That's what it's all about. That's a no-brainer. Don't get sucked in by out-of-town companies who are not here if you need technical support. Executone has been here, and they believe in the value of customer service, baby. Don't take my word for it. Give them a call, 225-295-3500. That's 295-3500. Oh, look them up, ExecutoneLA.com. Executone of Louisiana. They still here, and they're going to continue to get you great service this is the clay young show back with bishop charles wallace the pastor of the oasis christian church in baton rouge he's a very very involved member of this community both in his church talking with elected officials and of course in the community he's a good friend of mine bishop wallace how are you my friend i'm doing great by the grace of God, thank you, Clay, for having us on this morning. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about this. And and I was saying to you a second ago about your perspective about so many things. And as you know, this is a new normal for the world, not just Louisiana, not just America, but the world. What do you think about where we are now as a society? Let me begin by uh, saying that every day, Clay, we pray and lift up all of the healthcare professionals that are on the front line doing all they can to save lives. And we want to uh, pray and thank God for the families who have lost loved ones and pray his comfort upon them. And those that are in the hospital even now, that the Lord will touch their bodies, heal them, and raise them. Well, we pray for all of that family and everybody connected to them. Now, Clay, um, <clears throat> As, as a pastor, let me first put what is happening in biblical perspective. First of all, what is taking place in the earth now is something that has been spoken in the Bible about for over 2,000 plus years ago. Uh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, prophesied in Matthew chapter 24 of of many of the events that would take place on the earth prior to his return. 
And uh, one of those things, and maybe we'll talk about another one of them later if you ask that question, and I know you will. But one thing she talked about would be uh, pestilence or viruses that would be prevalent in the earth prior to his return. Now, we've always had viruses of divers of kind, but it's been since 1918 that we had something that touched the world. And so right now, I think uh, the world is all looking up because right now everything is looking down. As far as people that have been affected by it, again, as we said at the beginning, we pray and we comfort them. And your comfort and your help, you know, must come from above. Uh, There's right now no earthly remedy to this. We need divine intervention. We need to ask heaven's help in this situation. Do you think this will get people to slow down a little bit and maybe realize how not in control we really are? Well, you see it a little bit. Yes, it does. Uh, I'm reminded, Clay, and, you know, everything I say probably going to be, you know, spoken from the from the eyes of, a, of, of my, my biblical perspective. Sure. Yeah, you know, after... You know, I say for a while, it'll get their attention for a while. The Bible says that after God had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and uh, they crossed the Red Sea and Moses went up into the mountains. And when Moses came back, they had went back into their adulterous ways. So, yes, for a moment, that's just human nature. Some people would get it and stick with it and realize, you know, the importance of life and how fragile life is. And then some people is waiting for the storm to blow over and go back, unfortunately, back to the same way without even recognizing what has happened. What does that say about us as a society? Uh, as a society, Clay, it, 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 it speaks volume of our moral compass. Because some things you don't have to really be spiritual about. It's just normal, natural uh, response and reaction to certain things that should cause us to uh, change our behavior, change our perspective, and see things from a different paradigm. And so it means to me as a, as a, as a pastor, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. What are you telling your congregation? Because I know that you are still pastoring and ministering to to the members of Oasis and in this community when, when they are expressing to you their concerns and frustrations and anxiety, what are you telling them to, to get them back on their feet and calm them down, if you will? Well, that, that that's another good question, Clay. That's why you are the host and you're doing <laughs> such a great job because you asked the question that, that many people are asking. And, of course, you know, we are are communicating with our church right now by way of Facebook Live. And I'm sharing messages with them to encourage them and to help them get through this very challenging time. And one of the things that I shared with them the other day is on the other side of now, on the other side of now, We know what is happening right now. We're not in denial about that. But Clay, that's another side to where we are right now. 
So I try to get them to see what is happening on the other side of this and that if we can stay safe and use wisdom and get to the other side, God has a greater purpose and a greater plan for all of our lives. You know, down through biblical history and even in American history and just in history in general, whenever there were great calamity, catastrophes, when there were great uh, chaos in the earth, when it was all said and done, when the fog lift and the dust settled, it was greater on the other side. And I was listening to an executive the other day, Clay. The day after I shared this message with our congregation, and this is what I heard him say. He's a big executive for Coca-Cola. He said that everything that everything that they are doing now is positioning them for when this is over. So he's simply saying, we are preparing for what's going to happen on the other side. I think that's what gives people hope. The hope is to believe that this is going to get better. And so that's what we've been doing to inspire and to encourage our congregation and anyone that would listen to us. What would you say to elected leaders? Because the public is very focused on information coming out of Washington, coming out of the state capitol or their, their city halls or you know local government. And depending on how the message is relayed, it can instill calm or it can make people panicked. If you had the opportunity to address elected officials who were talking to the general public, what would you tell them? That's a, another question. First of all, people are looking for the truth. Now, even with the truth, telling them the raw truth, it may bring about a level or degree of fear for the moment. But it also will give you confidence in your leader when they tell you the truth. Don't tell me something to make me believe that something is one way when it's another way. Uh, speak with compassion. Speak with concern about the people and not yourself. Uh Stay humble or acknowledge that you don't know everything. Surround you with people to give you counsel and hear them and adhere to them. And all of this give confidence to the people that you're speaking to when they know that you have people around you that would even challenge you and not just be a yes man or yes woman to everything that you say just to stroke your ego. I think they need to be calm. Yes, we got a lot of trouble in the land right now, but you got to have a calm demeanor. You got to speak with confidence like you believe that everything is going to be all right. And, of course, let them know that you exhausted all of your efforts to make sure that everyone get what they need to get through this pandemic right now. I think a lot of people are having some perspective or, or reflection on what they believe and and people are looking at their faith and questioning a lot of things right now that self-evaluation that you experience when something like this happens i mean we've experienced it with katrina with wars with terrorism and all of these things and now is a time that people such as such as yourselves 
play an even more important role than you already play on a daily basis with the public to your fellow ministers and, 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 and leaders in the church. What would you say to them if you had the opportunity to say, here's what we need to be doing right now? Well, Clay, you know, nothing sneaks up on God. Everything that happened, he's aware of it. He's not responsible for everything that happened, but he's an omniscient God, and he knows everything that happened. And he prepared us for what is going to happen if we are sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So to answer your question, I taught for 16 weeks at our church on prayer prior to this, for 16 weeks. Five of those weeks I taught on fasting and prayer. Now talk about the results of fasting and prayer, the purpose of fasting and prayer. I showed them in the scripture how the kings, when trouble hit the land and they needed divine intervention, they would fast and pray. They would stop the animals from eating. That's how justice they was for the presence of God. So I would say to uh, all of my yokemans in ministry everywhere that we would we would preach ourselves, sanctify ourselves through fasting and prayer, that we would encourage our congregation to fast and pray. I was really blessed to hear that the governor was calling for the state to fast and pray. That is biblical, Jehoshaphat. He asked his country uh, to fast and pray when they needed the hand of God, and God showed up. And so I want them to know that God will show up when we fast and pray, and he will give us the answer that we need for the dilemma that we're in. Now, I'll also tell them this as well. Uh, that's the difference between faith and foolishness. <laughs> I would tell them, don't, 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 don't think you operating in faith by having people to congregate at your church uh, at a time when this virus is being spread from one place to another, and no one know who who have it. I would tell them, I, I would, I would tell them that the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but the good shepherd don't kill the sheep. He don't <laughs> put them in the harm's way. So we have to be used wisdom about what we're doing. The Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. And I've had pastors uh, in the city and, and in other states to call me, you know, weeks ago, uh, Pastor, what are you doing? Are you going to have service? Because they were going to make a decision based upon what they heard me say. I told them, yes, I'm going to have service at my house <laughs> <laughs> on my on my phone with my congregation, I would not put the sheep in harm's way. So those are some of the things that I have been saying uh, to pastors that I, I, I'm in communication with at this time, uh, Clay. One of the things that I appreciate the most about Bishop Wallace is he speaks with clarity. And if anybody out there is wondering what his perspective is on some of the local news around here, you just got it. So I'll just leave that right there. And then I'll, I'll let you, I want you to close our, our discussion here with this. For people listening to you right now who really are trying to grab on to any, any string, any strand of faith, of hope that is out there so that they can, so they can put on a brave front for their children or their employees or whomever. 
How would you encourage them? Well, Clay, in times like these, if you are a believer, you have to dig deep down into your reservoir of faith and pull it up to the top. Our faith will help us through every test, every trial, and every challenge. I would say be be uh, focused in your prayer life. When you get into the presence of God and talk to Him, it gives you a peace and a calm and a confidence that you can only come, that can only come from communicating with Him. And let that peace and that calmness about you be shown to your family. You know, even me, I have my children, uh, one of our daughters, our grandchildren here, and I'm walking around with confidence and assurance, but it comes not because of any strength or power in it up myself. I'm constantly in contact with the living God. I'm putting God in remembrance of his word. I'm confessing what God has said about me, and I'm using wisdom in the process. I'm not putting myself in a in harm's way. I'm not breaking natural laws, expecting spiritual law to kick in. And and that's how we have to live this thing. And, and, and Clay, this is a lifestyle, and this has to be the lifestyle, not just for this time, but this has to be our lifestyle for the rest of the way. Because everybody's life has been changed. We are no longer doing what we used to do, and we will never do things the way we used to do it. Right. And that's a good thing in one sense, Clay, because we need to be more aware. I'm, I'll see people speaking and waving now when I do <laughs> go out for the, you know, that normally would speak because they know that, you know, something is knocking at their door. <laughs> but we right. need to have that kind of love and compassion all the time, not just in these trying times like this. The fantastic Bishop Charles Wallace of the Oasis Christian Church here in Baton Rouge. If people want to watch your services, they can watch online at your website or or search you on social media, as you say, on Facebook to watch the stream of your services on Wednesday and Sunday, correct? Correct. Correct. And Clay, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this. Yes, you you are. I won't be embarrassed. (laughs) No, you are. Go ahead. when, When you're not at the local church, uh, you know, the tithes, the offering, and the giving go down significantly, and especially when people are being laid off. And so I have some numbers that I would like to put out there if any of your listeners would like to support it. If I should do that, tell me, and I won't be no, no. So, so, no, I think you should. And one of the things that I will say about that, just to give people perspective, because people who listen to me know how I am about a lot of things, and I certainly wouldn't endorse it if I didn't believe in it. But Bishop Wallace and I sit on the board of truce together and for years the church, his church did a scholarship for kids going to college. Uh, There have been times that he and I have done things for people in the community. I won't go into a lot of details about that because I I generally prefer those things to be anonymous. Uh, But, but I, I will say that when, when you are asking for support from the community, it is 100% going to go to helping people. So yes, I think, I think it's, that is a good place for people if they want to support or give a donation to do it and know that it's actually going to people and not to some of the other things that people get so angry about. So please go ahead. Okay. Well, great. The first number is, uh, you can text, 
you just text Gil. Uh, the number is 225-307-4524. Just text the word Gil and dial that number, 225-307-4524. Or you can give online, occbr.org. Or you can call 225-355-8274, and uh, someone will be there to answer the phone right now, and you can give. And then if you want to mail a gift in, you can mail it to Oasis Christian Church, 4524 East Brookstown Drive, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70805. And, of course, I would just say 70805 has been known as the hot spot of Baton Rouge for years because of all of the things that take place. But we are there because we believe that a good fisherman go where the fish are biting, and they are biting in 70805. Uh, Oasis is a watering hole in the dead, dry, barren land. 70805 is a desert, but we're there to bring life. So anybody, anywhere, whatever you do, we thank you in advance for your support. Clay, we thank you. Uh, for what you do and uh, and for reaching out and giving us an opportunity to share with the community what uh, I believe God is saying to all of us at this hour. Well, and we'll have you back as this is going on just for the, the perspective of encouragement and, and to talk more about this. And hopefully if, if, if the opportunity presents itself, you'll be willing to come back. Oh, certainly. Anytime, you know, I'm a servant. Uh, to the people, anything that I can say or do to help anybody anytime. Now, Clay, I want to say something in closing, if I can. I want to use some of my mama's <laughs> language. Okay. Uh, I'm a pastor. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm about to say something. So I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of giving a prophetship. Okay. Because we're in this together. That's right. And we have to win this together. Right. And I think many people, the government, our governor, our mayor, have not yet gotten their attention. And so when Mama wanted to get our attention, when we were children, and it always worked. And I want to say this. I've been wanting to say this, and I believe the Lord has given me this opportunity to say this. Uh Uh-oh. If you are black, stay your black ass at home. (laughs) If you white, stay your white ass at home. If you yellow, stay your yellow ass at home. If you brown, stay your brown ass at home. <laughs> stay at home. Don't go out into the neighborhood and spread the disease <laughs> so the hospitals get overwhelmed. And you may even be a victim of one of your family members wow. just because you want to lollygag up and down the street. Stay your ass at home. I do believe that will get people's attention. <laughs> and it you know what with, it, worked, it worked with us I believe um, it'll still work it worked with me too uh, <laughs> listen I didn't ask any follow up questions when that when something like that was said to me <laughs> yeah. so Bishop thank you so much I'll give you a call a little bit later on thank you so much for being on with us okay Clay take care talk to you later <laughs> alrighty bye bye 
Hi, this is Mayor Sharon Weston Broom inviting you to listen to the We BR podcast, an initiative of my Women's Advancement Commission. Our show will air the first and third Wednesday of each month. We invite you to listen to our podcast by visiting www.podcast225.com. That's www.podcast225.com and by subscribing through the Apple Podcast app. That's We Be Our Podcast. The most important issues facing our state and our region. The Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. Big one today. Hopefully it was great information for you. I enjoyed uh, all the conversation, the various information that got out. George Bell and the fantastic folks at United Way and what they're doing for nonprofit organizations in this area. The officers who saved a young man's life, you got a chance to hear that story. Of course, the great information from Dr. Bo Clark about what they're doing at the coroner's office and and the word I've been using a lot, the sobering news about where this number could go for this region in the coming weeks. Of course, Bishop Charles Wallace, <laughs> who sent us into that, out of that last talk segment with common sense advice that we should all heed. And it was not a respecter of race. <laughs> it covered everybody. So if you heard that, listen to the bishop. And do what he told you to do. And of course, Mayor President Sharon Weston Broom, who was here with us in studio talking about what's going on there. You know, she mentioned politics in her commentary. And 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 again, I think it's important because I'm staying away and as much as I can from any of that right now because of what we're all dealing with. And I think the last thing we need is to be ripped apart by politics as usual. I mean, this is a serious, serious thing we're dealing with. And I think there will be a day to deal with who is or who isn't doing the right thing. But she's right. She's right on the leadership front that I mean, this is that's what this is about. So, all right, we've covered a lot of great information and I don't think that long a period of time. And I hope you appreciated it. Please share it, as I said in the open with people, let them know. And, you know, I'm coming back. I thought about this. I didn't bring bring it back at the start of the segment with Dr. Bo Clark. We bumped back bumper music, as it's called in the biz, with Bill Withers. And as many of you may know, still Bill passed away, right? Bill Withers died. I mean, his music was always so great. Use Me, Lovely Day, as you heard, Lean On Me. Just so many great songs by the man they called Still Bill. Military veteran. Smart, smart man, too. All right, you guys stay safe, stay informed as well, and we'll catch you next time here on The Clay Young Show right here at podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.